about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. all of chapter 5, that's on page 1131 of your pew Bibles, continuing a similar theme of uh, expulsion of a sinful member, but talking about the body of Christ rather than, um, or the body of the church rather than uh, an individual's body. So that's on page 1131, all of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief? Shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that, in the, uh, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of our Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Well, good morning. Um, hi, I'm Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. It's great to be with you this morning. One of the things about our culture is we love freedom. Uh, we love the freedom to exercise our rights, to say what we want to say, to do what we want to do. Uh, we, we retain the right, if you like, to have veto over all our relationships. Uh, if we don't like a particular person, we won't remain friends with them. If we don't like a particular organisation, we won't associate ourselves with that particular organisation and of course sometimes quite sadly uh, if we don't want to continue to go out with the same person in a married circumstance we divorce them. We love our freedom as a society. Uh, we love the freedom to be able to say and do what we like, when we like it and how we like it. And the thought that someone would come to us and suggest that that freedom needs to be curbed it's quite jarring. And yet, we do recognise there is a need for discipline. So while we think about freedom, we also think about the need for discipline because, you just think about it, all those great diets, the low-sugar diet, the lacto-vegetarian diet, the raw food diet, 
Uh, these are all diets about discipline, about disciplining our bodies. People have personal trainers, go to the gym, go on long bike rides to discipline their bodies. And while we value this freedom, we also recognise that actually organisations need to be able to curb our desires. There's outrage when there's plagiarism at a university. Corporations have memorandums of understanding so they can operate. Very often when you come to a, an organisation, you sign a code of conduct. So you understand that there is need for discipline as well. We love our freedom, but there's also need for discipline. And very often those two things clash when they come together. Now this need for discipline is also seen in all kinds of different places. At the start of the 2005 season, Sydney Swans had not won a premiership for 72 years. Subsequently, they've had two flags, and one of the reasons that they have two flags is because of a particular man. His name is Ray McLean. Ray McLean was just a schoolteacher from Ballarat. But he started to think about the culture of organisations. And this is what he said as he came to the Swans and as he recognised what was going on in the Swans. Culture is all about behaviour. And until you are clear about what kind of behaviour you will accept and what you don't, you run the risk of building many other flaws into your organisation. If an organisation is unsure about behavioural standards required within its culture, it prevents people from being able to show a proactive leadership. Proactive leadership means that if someone sees something that is inappropriate, they know that they're, not allowed to, they're allowed to challenge it, or conversely, if they see something good, they can reward someone. And so within the swans, he set up a leadership team with this kind of culture, where things were clear about what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. And as a result of that leadership culture, the swans were transformed. They were all moving in the same direction. They were able to win those two flags. Well, as we continue our series in 1 Corinthians today, we come to a situation of church discipline. And Paul has something very surprising to say. He says, the church needs discipline too, but actually it's not just about the leadership. If he were to rewrite um, what Ray has just said, he would say something like this. Culture is about behaviour. Until you're clear about what behaviour you accept, and what, you, and what you don't, you run the risk of building many other flaws into your church. If a church is unsure about what behavioural standards are required within its culture, it prevents people from being able to show proactive membership. Proactive membership means that if someone sees something that's inappropriate, they know that they're allowed to challenge it. And conversely, if they see something that is good, they can reward someone or they can encourage someone. The startling thing about our passage today is it's about church membership, not only about church leadership. And today I want to consider four things. The failure of Christian community, why the failure of Christian community matters, the path to the restoration of Christian community, and the power to be that Christian community. 
Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and see what we're looking at uh, in terms of the situation Paul is addressing. As you know, Paul has been speaking to the members at Corinth. It's a pretty interesting church made up of all kinds of different people. And Paul has been addressing them and particularly their leadership and the way that they value leadership over the last few weeks. Paul has also established that he is an apostle, one sent by God, and he is allowed to speak. And we'll see this unfold in this passage. The passage starts like this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality amongst you and of a kind that does not even occur amongst the pagans. A man has his father's wife. Now, the way this is written, Paul is indignant. He's, out, he's, he's outraged that this behaviour is going on. Now, he's not only outraged about this kind of behaviour. If you look down further in verse 11, um, he also talks about other kinds of behaviour, such as greed, being a, an idolatra, being a slander, slanderer, being someone who's drunk regularly. He's concerned about a range of different behaviours here, but this particular one has caused his anger. Now, the situation appears to be that a man is probably sleeping with his stepmother. And that situation has been allowed to continue within their congregation. No one has challenged that behaviour. No one has questioned that kind of incest that is taking place. Uh, some people surmise that that's probably because this person might have been a rich person, a powerful person in their congregation, someone who was hard to challenge. You've got to remember in this particular society, uh, things were very hierarchical and it would have been very difficult for someone to challenge someone's behaviour if they were in power. And so his behaviour hasn't been challenged. There's been a corporate failure to challenge this behaviour. See there in verse 2? And you are proud, he says to the whole congregation. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put this, put this person out of fellowship? The person who's been doing this? It's a Ray McLean moment, isn't it? He's saying your culture, the way you operate as a church, has meant you've allowed this behaviour to continue. You haven't spoken into each other's lives. And this kind of culture has been allowed to develop. And therefore, there are flaws in your congregation. Flaws which need to be spoken into. Well, if that's the failure of this Christian community, if they have not acted in a way that they've been called to, why does this failure actually matter? Now, it's interesting, since the um, codes, the NRL code and the AFL codes have uh, started to notice their behavior, the behaviour of their players, there's been lots of discussion as to why people have brought codes of ethics in, why they have started to train their leaders in this way. And there's some argument as to what's the benefit of it. Uh, some argue, for example, that it's really just about uh, making sure that the, NF, the AFL and the NRL look great that somehow it's a public relations exercise, that everyone will like their institution because, well, they've cleaned up the behaviour of the players. 
On other occasions, people are more generous and they suggest that perhaps actually these people are examples to our community. And the football clubs are setting ethical standards and providing ethical standards for people beyond their own club and within their own club and suggesting this is how to behave. Well, in some ways, I guess that could have been the case in Corinth, but here we see something slightly different. See here in verse 6, he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? And then he goes on to give an allusion to something that took place in the Old Testament. Uh, Very frequently when it came to the time of the Passover, they needed to clear out the temple, they needed to clean out their homes, and they needed to get rid of everything that was unclean. And one of the things that were unclean was the idea of yeast and the unleavened bread. I'm sorry, the leavened bread. And so the sense was to clean things out in preparation for a new year. And so that imagery is writ large here as we, we think about what Paul's saying next. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may have new unleavened, unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So the lamb has been sacrificed. It's now time to get rid of everything that is unclean in your presence. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old leavened bread, not with the, the polluted leavened bread, which is polluted with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul's point is, is, is it's time for a clean-out. It's time to make sure that things are pure and right. It's time to deal with those things amongst you that are not right. And why? Well, one of the reasons he gives is because, well, actually, do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? His point is that a behaviour, a culture that develops within a congregation that remains unchecked starts to infect everybody, starts to spread everywhere. It's a bit like saying, you've got a virus? Oh, that's okay. Why don't you spread it around and give it to the rest of us? We'll all share the virus together. That's what's happening in the Corinthian church. They haven't checked a virus and they haven't dealt with it and it's just continued to spread. And Paul's saying here, actually, no, you need to deal with this. This is going to infect all the relationships that you have. Now, this is so important to Paul because of something else that he said in 1 Corinthians, something else that's underlying this whole passage and something that we've seen in our previous sermons. Do you remember right back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. The church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people sanctified and called holy. The people as they gather together in Corinth are not a community that have come into existence because they decided it was a good idea or they like praying croquet together. They have been called by God. 
but they have been called by God and set apart as his holy people. Sanctified. Their behaviour is to be holy. A little bit later on in 1 Corinthians 3.16, we read these words, Do you not know that you yourselves, speaking of the church itself, are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. And then there's a warning. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. You hear those strong warnings there? About the holiness of God. If you remember your Old Testament, you'll know that at Mount Sinai, if people touched the mountain, they were warned they would die because of the holiness of God. Even when someone stumbled against the Ark of the Covenant as they were carrying it from one place to another, they died. It was holy. The priest went into the Holy of Holies every year and he had a rope tied on him so he could be pulled out in case he died in the presence of the holiness of God. The holiness of God matters. And Paul is saying, you are a community and this matters. Because by not doing something about this, you taint the holiness of God. You bring the holiness of God into question. Because he lives and dwells amongst you. That's why he is so annoyed. And so in verse 2 he says, And you are proud. Not only have you not done anything about it, you are proud. You've kind of said, well, we're doing the right thing here. Look at us. The failure of Christian community matters because it matters to God. We are his covenant people. We are set apart. We are called to holiness. And so it matters how we behave. It matters how we treat one another. It matters how we speak into each other's lives. Because we are God's holy people. Well, what's the path to restoration? What does Paul suggest is the way forward here in a, in a situation where this needs to be addressed by the people of God? Well, I'm going to say that the path to restoration is not an easy one. And actually one that produces lots of tears. In verse 2 we read, Put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. Verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Notice it's... the desire to see the person saved, to be restored, but this person is handed over to not be under God's direct authority. This person is no longer putting themselves under God's direct authority because of the way they're behaving. And Paul is saying, hand them over to that in order that they might be restored. And as if we haven't already got the point, verse 13, expel the wicked person from amongst you. Now remember, this person is probably highly recognised, someone who has power, someone who people like, but because of his behaviour, 
that is remaining inconsistent with what it means to be God's holy people, Paul is saying they need to expel him. Now, Paul doesn't go into much detail as to how that happens uh, specifically here, or at least what leads up to it. Uh, For that, we often look to passages like Matthew chapter 18, uh, where we see that in terms of people approaching one another, and you'll notice there it's not just the leadership, it's actually anyone in a, a church community. The first instance is in private, to raise a concern with someone. The second instance brings more people. If it really gets more serious, then it becomes public and then there's an expulsion. Paul hasn't outlined those steps here, but he does outline some steps about what to do at the expulsion moment. See there in verse 3, he's speaking with all his apostolic authority, the authority we heard of last week if you were here with us. In verse 3, I have already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the one who has been doing this, so that when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of the Lord is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Paul is speaking these words with apostolic authority, but notice his apostolic authority is rooted in Jesus Christ, is found in Jesus Christ. So he refers to Jesus Christ. He says, it's because of Jesus Christ I'm speaking these words. And he speaks as though Christ is present with them through his word and by his spirit. I think that's what Paul means by his spirit being with them. So Paul's not making this up. He's not just trying to wield authority because he likes to be in charge. He's speaking because he's been called of God to speak in the lives of these people here. Now this pattern might sound new to the New Testament, but it's not. It's something that frequently happened throughout the Old Testament. People were asked to leave the people of Israel on the basis of certain things that they did or to leave the community as a result of what they did. That's what Paul is doing here. He's following it through like that. Well, the expulsion in verse 11 takes place. He says, you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. Now, I think what Paul is talking about here is a situation where a person's continuing in sinfulness. It's not the once-off thing. It's the continuing behaviour. It's the persistent behaviour. It's the behaviour that comes about even when someone's been spoken to about it. And there, you see, he includes a range of different things in these circumstances. Now, he talks about excluding the person, but not even eating with them. Now, there's a range of ways you could actually view that idea of not even eating with a person. I could mean just don't have lunch with them. I think a narrow view and one that I think applies here is the idea of not sharing together in the Lord's Supper. 
That seems to be what takes place as, the, as 1 Corinthians um, unfolds. He asks people to examine themselves before they come to the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper is a communal event where we share together in the one body and we remember what Jesus has done for us. A person who's involved in persistent behaviour that puts them outside of fellowship with others is a person who's saying, I'm not part of the body of Christ, that holy body, that set-apart body, that sanctified body. Clearly, I think it also means that uh, the person is if they're not part of the body of Christ at that point, is not in leadership positions either or in ministries together with that congregation. Now, these are, these are horrible, horrible things. These are terrible things. And so, of course, we must remember in all these circumstances that there is need for repentance. Having been involved in this kind of thing over the years... There's also a need for tears. It's a very, very sad thing. And it needs to be done with tears. But Paul here is saying, we are called as God's people to hold each other accountable, mutually accountable for the way that we behave particularly if we people who call ourselves Christians and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who are seeking to live out his freedom. Now, just as an aside, Paul says something that's really important for us to hear as a broader church. See verse 9 there? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy, or swindlers, or dollars. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Now, I'm writing to you, you must not associate with a brother or sister who's like that. Then verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not, you are to judge those inside the church. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person amongst you. Brothers and sisters, so frequently the church has got us so wrong at this point. We've spoken so loudly into our community that sometimes they only think we're only on about a small selection of things. And we've forgotten to look after our own house. I don't agree with much that Christopher Hitchens says, but this is what he says. Religion has called immeasurable, uh, innumerable people not to just conduct themselves no better than others, but to award themselves the permission to behave in ways that would make a brothel keeper raise an eyebrow. Brothers and sisters, what's taken place is that very frequently, as we as a church have been looking outside and not in. We've set up power structures and ways of working, a culture that means we can't speak into each other's lives or we don't speak into each other's lives. And whether you're in leadership in any form, or whether you're a member of a church, the body of Christ in any form, Paul is saying we are called to disciple one another. 
call each other to account. That if we see things that are going wrong, if we see things that are taking place, that we need to do something about it. Because it will infect the rest of our church. And we're called to be accountable to one another. And so Paul makes it very, very clear. We need to be speaking to one another. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds very heavy and like, wow, is this, is this possible to do at all? Like, like, how is this possible? And by the way, we can get this completely wrong. Um, we, can, we can completely do this badly amongst ourselves. I recently saw the movie Footloose. Do you remember Footloose? About a very conservative church determined not to let its young people dance. And they came across... Uh, actually, I used to go to a church like this once. My father got into trouble because I had a bush dance at my 21st. He was spoken to in no, no uncertain terms about the fact that I was running a dance. So I know exactly what Footloose is about. And it comes across as moralistic, as self-righteous, as lacking grace. And that's what happens when we do it in our own powers, when we're full of pride and arrogance, when we think we've got it all right and we don't come to a person in tears. On the other hand, we can also take the other option, and that is, oh, look, this is just too hard. I don't want to do this. It's too hard to speak into other people's lives. Look, my religion's private. I'm just doing this by myself. I just come to church, go home. I don't really need to be speaking into other people's lives. And that's a cop-out too. So how do we do this? 